With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You're Jay talking. I'm Bradley Jay. We're live midnight to five. Some of you know what we're going to talk about tonight because you follow me on social media, uh, Twitter, Instagram, and uh, Facebook. If you'd like to know ahead of time what's coming up uh, with our guests, etc., you should follow. That way you won't miss it. And if you do happen to miss it, there's always the Jay Talking Podcast. If you're listening to this via the podcast, know that we're live midnight to five each weeknight. And also, if you're listening live, there's the podcast. Tonight, we continue with our Halloween vibe. We talked some about, some about Salem and what goes on on the Halloween season in Salem. But we're going to move to a neighboring town tonight. I don't know if you all know that uh, there were a lot of towns that had witch problems in the area. There were some one-witch towns. That's right, one-witch towns. That's a thing. But I believe that Salem had more accusations, excuse me, Andover had more accusations or arrests, or there's some number that's larger than Salem. Is that correct, guest Richard Height? That is correct. Andover had the largest number of accusations of any town in 1692. A total of 45 residents of Andover were accused. And that's part of the book, In the Shadow of Salem, the Andover Witch Hunt of 1692. And Richard Height, thanks for coming in. Thank you for having me. Before we get underway about the book, you live in... Providence, Rhode Island. Providence, yes. Rhode Island, and tell me what that's like. Is it is it cool? Oh yes, Pro- yeah. Providence is a very cool city in many ways. I've been living there now for sixteen years, and very happy to be there. They have a very nice music scene, among other things. What type of music do you oh, go and see? Oh, uh, you know, I you know I enjoy folk or rock, you know rock and roll mainly. Okay, you still uh, getting out? That's good. Yes, absolutely. Now, uh, your book, what, how did you happen to come to write this book? Well, I have been interested in the witch hunt from very early childhood. It's um, my, my sister was actually the first person who ever mentioned it to me and told me a little bit about it. I was probably in about the first grade. And then later on, I read a book for children titled In the Devil's Shadow by an author whose last name was Alderman. I can't remember his first name. Um. Then, of course, like so many people in high school, I read the play The Crucible, which is, uh, you know, of course, not at all historically accurate, but, um, you know, for, uh, but, it, uh, but it uses the witch trials as the setting for the story. Then in college, I wrote a term paper on the subject, and upon moving here, with easy access to northeastern Massachusetts, I began studying it further, and I found out that despite Andover's importance, there really had not been any major scholarly work that focused on Andover, and I saw a void I could fill with that. Did you move here because of the witches? No, I just I moved to Providence years ago because I had the opportunity for a job at the Rhode Island State Archives, and I still work there, but... That was, you know, I was always interested in uh, the history, the general history of this region, and that was an added attraction. And, right, okay. Uh, 
So what was the, first, for folks who don't live around here, it's, describe to them where Salem is situated, and then describe how Andover is lo- located in relation to Salem. Sure. Salem, of course, is uh, just uh, is on the coast, just a bit north of Boston. It was actually established a few years before Boston. Boston was founded in 1630, Salem in 1626. Wow. But it wasn't long, of course, before Boston became the larger town, as Salem nonetheless became a fairly large community uh, very quickly. And um, then, of course, as time went on, people began moving more and more inland. And Andover, I believe, is probably about 15 miles or so um, a bit north and west of Salem. And you know, it's along the Shawsheen River. And you know, rivers provided a means of transportation in that era, the most important means. So it was natural that new towns, as they were established, grew up along rivers. Andover was founded in 1646. It's my understanding that residents, some land was set aside in what is now Andover, and people were encouraged to move there. That yes, that is true. And early, there were 23 people who were listed as the original proprietors of Andover. Well, of course, as as was normal at the time, they only listed the men as the original proprietors, but you know, nearly all of them were married, so their, you know, their wives were there as well. So this is 1641, 1646. What's it like during that time? Not, not only spiritually, as far as the religion goes, but what's the life of these folks like? Maybe it'll help us understand why something like witchcraft fear could flourish. Well, you know, as you mentioned, you know, of course, relig- you know, religion was very much a center of their life. But you know, day to day, you know, day to day life involved a lot of very hard labor, and I think that's one reason um, that early death was not at all unusual. But there were people who lived significant lifespans into their seventies and eighties, as much as people do now. And I can't help but think that part of that, despite the lack of medicine then that is available now, day-to-day life required so much physical labor that the average person was probably in far better physical condition than many people yes, are today. Yes, I, I, absolutely. We are so weak now compared to what people must have been like then, hoeing the potatoes all day and, and logging in the woods. Absolutely. Now, there was no science. Well, there was, in everyday life, not a lot of science happening and so superstition could easily get a foothold. That's very true, and it was not at all unusual. Um, if people met with some misfortune of some sort, um, they might think about uh, and believing as they did in witchcraft and that uh, people could bring harm to them by wishing them ill will if they had made a pact with the devil um, it was all you know. It was believed during the witch trials that uh, you could squeeze a cloth, imagine a person you wanted to harm, and actually do physical harm to them by that. But and the people were, believed it. I guess you know they were so guided by their version of religion, and the devil was a a real thing in their version of the religion, and it's a real short hop from the devil to witches. That that's true, but. It would be particularly likely in a time of significant turmoil because while there were sporadic trials 
throughout, you know, in Massachusetts and Connecticut from the very earliest European settlement of New England, by far the largest uh, number happened in 1692. Now, was this a time of uh, crop failure or famine or, or hardships that made it more likely that somebody needed to be blamed for these hardships? Well, there were certainly, there were wars with the Native Americans going on at that time that had started in 1689. It was a carryover like it was so often of warfare in Europe. Um, you know, the, and then the French, yeah, the French settlers and uh, what, what's now Canada, they were, you know, inducing the Native Americans, to attack the English population, which was happening. Uh, the other thing was that Massachusetts's charter had been revoked a few years earlier, and they were awaiting a new charter to arrive from England. And they, while they were happy to get it, they knew they were going to be required to accept some things that they were not too happy about. Such as? Such as, well, a big thing was they were going to be allowed, forced to accept the presence of other religions in the colony. Uh-huh. Um, Anglicans in particular, of course, but, the, but, you know, but then they were, there were Quaker groups in the area as well. And um, so it was no longer going to be the the type of theocracy that it had previously been. Now let's uh, talk about the actual start of the frenzy in Andover. What was going on? You know, what was the the point of the frenzy in Salem when things started happening in Andover? Well, in Salem, I should point out Salem Village, which is now Danvers, is actually where it began. Um, there, uh, there was a factional divide in the village. There was a dispute over the minister, Samuel Paris. There were a large number in town who supported him and a large number who opposed him. And what was the issue? They opposed him for what? Did he, they, he alleged to have done something wrong? No, no, it was just some did not feel, you know, some did not really feel he was up to the task. He did, you know, he was not a Harvard grad and, um, you know, he had been a merchant before and, uh, that he also wanted to, they felt that he wanted too much. For instance, he wanted the deed to the parsonage. Oh, wow. And, uh, but the, and as the way things played out in Salem Village, it tended to be that those who, that those who supported him were more likely to be doing the accusing, and those who opposed him were more likely to be accused. Interesting. And see, I expected to find a sort of similar situation in Andover because, well, there were two ends of town, a north end and a south end, that were taxed separately. I thought I would find one area of town where where the accusers lived and the other would be where most of the accused were, but I did not find that at all. I also did not find the kind of, they had two ministers, but they're, it was not as if there was one faction supporting one minister and one the other. Did you notice any other common denominators between the accused and the accusers? Like maybe a um, class difference, maybe an upper, a lower class was accusing and upper class was the accused. Any any consistencies like that? No, no. That's not what that was not what I that was not what I found. Okay. What I did find well, in Andover was that particular families, uh, extended family groups, were all, you know, were most often targeted. Uh, one such family was the family of, Mar- of Martha Allen Carrier. She was the first. She was the first one accused, and she had actually already been accused in May of 1692. 
uh, the and, and it looked at that point like Andover would be one of the so-called one witch towns because she you know, she was the only one who had been accused. Trials had started in early June, and then after that, for a period of about six weeks, there were no new accusations. It appeared as though what was going to happen was that the trials would um, uh, just start and no more, no one else would be accused. But um, once things got going in Andover, um, one of the early accused, a young woman named Mary Lacey, who had been accused along with her mother and grandmother, spoke of having attended what was called a witch's Sabbath with Martha Carrier. And I should point out she was confessing to witchcraft, Mary Lacey, that is. But she claimed to have seen Martha Carrier there and also indicated that Martha Carrier was the designated queen in hell, so to speak. So I, I have to back you up so I can get a clear picture of this. Yes. There's no real witch thing going on in Andover until Mary Carrier. Martha Carrier. Martha Carrier. Well, yes. And even then, it didn't start for six more weeks. Okay. Now, who was it that was a, the confessed witch? That you were just mentioned. That's well. That's the one who. St- uh, that's the one who identified Martha Carrier as the Queen in Hell. She did not start the thing in Andover. Okay. What did happen and started it in Andover was there was a um, Elizabeth Ballard who was a resident of the town was quite ill, and her husband Joseph, prompted by some others, wonder was beginning to wonder if maybe witchcraft was causing her illness. So. He invited some of the um, accusers from Salem Village over to examine his wife and uh-huh. find out, and tell him whether or not witchcraft was responsible. And, um, of course, they said yes. And they identified, they were the ones who identified Ann Foster, who was the grandmother of the Mary Lacey that I was just speaking of. And then that led to the accusations of her daughter and granddaughter both named Mary Lacey, but it was the younger Mary Lacey who then okay. and not a, identified Martha Carrier as the queen in hell, so to speak. Queen in hell. Let's go back to Martha Carrier. Yep. I have to try to get this in my own mind, in my own words. So a woman was ill. Yes. And the husband of the woman who was ill said, you know, I wonder if this is witchcraft. Yes. Did he genuinely believe that or did he feel like blaming someone? He genuinely, uh, he came to genuinely believe it. Okay. But he was, uh, to some degree, it seems he was talked into believing it. It doesn't, uh, he, de- he did not believe it at first. Okay. But then hearing the, you know, based on uh, what others were telling him, he began to suspect. So he said, well, you know, the only way I can know is to get some accusers from, from Salem. Now, why would they be experts? You know, they're, they're just accusers. Why would they happen to be experts? Well, they, they had uh, they had already identified, you know, more than uh, around fifty or sixty people who were in jail awaiting trial. They had experience. Yes, exactly. And of course, did any of these uh, these accusers ever ever do a test on someone and say, "Nope, not a witch," or was it always, "Yes, they're a witch"? Oh, there was only once, and it's only once when they did that, and it seems to have been an accident, a mistake. Um. They brought in one man who had been accused as a wizard, which was what they called male witches. His name was Nehemiah Abbott from the town of Topsfield. And, the, and then one of the acute, one of the teenage girls who was accusing uh, said, was asked, is this the man? And she looked at him and said, no, he is not the man. Wow. Now, that was the only one. Wow. 
that so, they ever said no. So back about. to go back to Martha Carrier in uh, Andover. These experts, accusers from Salem, come over. What did they do to ascertain? Were there a, was there a battery of tests, or did they just look at the person and say, "Yep," or did I they, think, have, they have visions or something? I think that well, the person they accused initially, Ann Foster, as I spoke of, because Martha Carrier had already been jailed a few weeks by this time, but. And Ann Foster, I think, was known to them because of some serious traumas that had happened in her family a few years earlier. Her daughter had been murdered, Ann Foster's daughter, that is, and then the daughter's husband had then been hanged for the crime. And so the story was known throughout the area. Um, but Mar- and uh, Ann Foster was subjected to, to four days of intense questioning and then she not only confessed to witchcraft, but she she then stated that there was a very large conspiracy in the area of these witches, and it involved over 300 people. Right. She said there were like 300 witches out in the woods. Yes, and only 60 or so had been arrested at that point. So that broke the idea that we have everybody. Now they realized oh, we've only got about a fifth of them. There's t- more than 200 more out there. And they really believed one, one one person who said, yeah, there are 300. And this is after they've been tortured. Well, I don't know if they've been tortured for four days, but questioned yes. in, pro- in, in probably uncomfortable circumstances. Well, yes, she was being questioned in jail. Yeah. By, and uh, at you know, she was not a healthy woman anyway, either physically or emotionally. It's often talked about how frail she was, and she had had all these traumas in her life in just the last three years of her daughter being murdered, you know, by her son-in-law. And it was not unusual also for people when they um, experienced a misfortune like that to wonder, hmm, have I been punished for some sin I committed? It seems like they threw out, you know, the English code of law, which which you'd think they would have ingrained in them. They totally threw it out. They're not not, not abiding by that at all, are they? Um. Well, it's uh, pro- probably that. I think that's a valid point because what had happened was by the time the, they were waiting for this charter to arrive from England with the new governor, whose name was William Phipps, and. Um, he, upon arriving, was hit with the situation of dozens people of people in jail having been accused of witchcraft. So he established a special court called the Court of Oyer and Terminer with to special, hear these cases. With special rules, probably. With, right? Yes, with special rules. We're with the author of In the Shadow of Salem, The Andover Witch Hunt of 1692, Richard Height. Speaking of the numbers, I should have asked you this previous. What were the comparative numbers as far as... Which arrests, etc., Salem versus Andover. Um, Andover, as I noted, had 45 people accused, which was more than any other town. Salem Village, which is now Danvers, had 26 residents accused, and there were actually only, there were 12 from the town of Salem. So Andover actually had more than Salem Village and the town of Salem combined. But it's noteworthy, of course, that regardless of where people were from, all of the trials happened in Salem and any of the ex- all of the executions that happened. Oh, so that's happened why Salem, Salem is famous. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. You were talking about Martha Carrier, uh, the one of the first accused, and how that went down. You get some professional accusers from 
over in uh, Salem. What are the the powers that the witches were supposed to have had? Can you give me uh, list some of those abilities well, and powers? Well, the thing that comes, uh, the thing that uh, very often comes about in this particular witch hunt, which was the largest in New England, um, they of course could uh, suppo- uh, supposedly squeeze cloth or their own hands and imagine the person they wish to do. You just wring your hands and think of the person. Think of the person. But one of the things, the most controversial aspect of the court of Oyer and Terminer that I mentioned was... Which was the official court set up to try witches. Exactly. Was that they accepted what was called spectral evidence. That is, a suspect could just be sitting in the courtroom not doing anything, and someone who was accusing them could claim this person's specter is attacking me. Uh-huh. Uh, the controversial thing about that in that era, it was was not that they didn't think that, so, that there were those who thought that that sort of thing couldn't happen, but there were some who believed that the devil could take the shape of an innocent person, but there were others who believed that that could only happen if the person whose specter it was gave their consent for the devil to do harm in their shape. And that was the position the court of Boyer and Terminer so, took, was that I, if, I, if my specter attacked someone, that meant that I had given the devil permission to use my shape to harm the person. So uh, that was the position they initially accepted. Just imagine living in a world like that, where you're walking down the street and pretty much everybody— probably believed, oh, yeah, that uh, a, a specter of one person could harm another person. Exactly. It, it must have been a, just a weird world to live in. Well, you would think so, but I guess it was the only, it was the world they knew. Yeah. Um, and, but, you know, there, it really, that's the only time that it really got that far out of control okay. throughout the so time back to, of early New England. back to Martha, these professional witch accusers come and can you really go into detail about that scene well the when they the witch accusers came well their role was at the beginning when they identified as i said martha carrier was already in prison and had jail had been for six weeks but they identified ann foster who promptly confessed um then locals began uh, filing against people who they suspected including um and Foster's daughter and granddaughter. But then the focus turned to relatives of Martha Carrier because Mary Lacey, who was the granddaughter of um, Ann Foster, identified Martha Carrier as the queen in hell. Right. And so, what is the queen in hell? Well, it was, ne- it was never really explained. Uh, I, it was assumed that that would be a status that would come to her in hell after she died. Okay. Uh, at least is the best explanation I can give, but it was never really explained. But as soon as she was given that designation, well, she had five children. Four of them were promptly accused. Um, her sister, had, who lived in a neighboring town, had been accused. And then going back to, uh, of course, her grandparents and parents were dead by this time. But if you go back to her maternal grandparents, Edmund and Ann Engels, who were early settlers in the town of Lynn, before the trials were over, 
15 of their descendants were accused and the spouses of two others. So there were 17 from that extended family accused. No other family had so nearly had that number of people accused. And, uh, and, uh, in my, and my assumption there is that it was because they were relatives of, this, of Martha Carrier, the so-called queen in hell. Okay. What about Timothy Swan? Okay, Timothy Swan was a person who was named by many confessors as someone they had done harm to. But he was actually from the town of the neighboring town of Haverhill originally and had moved to Andover to live with a mar- an older brother who was married. But six years earlier, an unwed young woman in Haverhill had given birth to a child. And while in labor, she named Timothy Swan as the child's father and accused him of having raped her. So, needless to say, he was not very well liked in um, Haverhill. Now, the, the rape charge never went anywhere, in part because the midwives and some of the others had an idea that um, conception could only con- occur during a consensual act which is something, you know, that surfaced in a political race in Missouri about seven years ago, you may remember. So they believed that if a woman got pregnant, that it could not have been raped. That's what they thought. But they did take her word that Timothy Swan was the father, and he was supposed, yeah, so he was ordered to so help her support the child, and of course, by modern standards, he proved to be a deadbeat father. So he got nobody in Haverhill likes this guy. He goes to Andover, and it's really then. Sure, apparently during the trials he became severely ill. Now there's no record that he appeared in court to testify against anyone. He was probably too sick. But a number of the women who confessed, women in particular, um, uh, it, named him as one of the people they had afflicted. Um, it was very likely that, as unfortunate as it is, some of the people who were accused who had in their minds wished harm upon people and then would see then harm actually come to them might have actually come to believe that they were witches without having realized it. So it's a really ironic situation. Timothy Swan himself ended up, whatever illness he had, he ended up dying in February of 1693. Wow, you did, You have some pretty um, extreme detail. I love that. Yes. Joseph Ballard, his uh, wife fell sick. That's uh, correct. Can you talk about the story of Joseph Ballard? Yes, well, he was the one who did invite the afflicted girls from Salem Village to Andover. Okay. Um, he and his brother... John, who was the constable of the south end of Andover, had been operating a mill there for about four years and uh, were sort of, they they had not grown up as the elite of Andover, but they seemed to be moving up in the ranks, so to speak. Joseph had been the constable a few years earlier. John, who was younger by then, had been. And that was often a way for a young man to sort of advance himself into village politics. But um, the, he was talked into believing that perhaps his wife was bewitched. And so he filed the complaint, in fact, against Ugh. the two Lacey women and may have filed the complaint against Ann Foster. We mm. don't know because that complaint does not exist. 
But then another thing that helped give it the impetus in Andover was that five days later, his wife actually died, which, you know, none of these so-called afflicted in Salem had died. But then here, she, uh, here in Andover, this alleged victim of witchcraft actually did die. So that, again, took it to another level because witches could kill. In your book, you have dialogue. I'm, I'm curious as to how, A, you get so much detail, and how do you know the actual dialogue? Um, because, well, it's as was recorded in the examination, in the prelim, preliminary examinations. See, the actual trial records do not exist, except for a few fragments. But everyone who was accused underwent a preliminary examination, and um, though, and there are very, most of those do still exist and have been published. Where oh, you can just get them on the internet. They yes, there is. They are hosted on a website by the University of Virginia. You know, if you want to look at the actual documents, there's also a book called Records of the Salem Witch Hunt that was published in 2010, edited by Bernard Rosenthal, which includes a transcription of every known document at the time. And this book is over 900 pages wow. in length. All right, let's break. And I want to know about some of the some of the tests you give, some more tests. There's the touch test, for example. Yes. After this, we'll learn what the touch test is, and maybe there are some other witch tests. It's WBZ. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I want to talk about tests, particularly the touch test, a test that can uh, divine whether or not you are a witch. Can you t- t- tell us about the touch test? Certainly. Well, by the time this happened in early September of 1692, the witch hunt in Andover had been going on for about six weeks, and Andover by that time had its own circle of afflicted people, um, you know, teenage girls, just as it had been in Salem Village. So they were gathered together near the town meeting house, uh, by the uh, the selectmen had made the decision to hold this. These afflicted and, girls are gathered together. Yes, and um, of co- and then several who had been not arrested yet but accused, seventeen altogether, were brought there, and they, the accused were blindfolded, and the girls, not surprisingly, went into their fits, and individually, each of the suspects was led to an afflicted person and told to lay their hands on the afflicted person. And if upon the touch of the suspect, if the girl's fit stopped, that was evidence of the guilt of the accused. I see. And so not surprisingly, of course, their fit stopped at the touch of every single suspect. So you had somebody accused of being a witch, you want to test it. You take somebody that is being afflicted by a witch, or groups of them, and if these people make hand contact, if the afflicted make hand contact with the accused witch and their affliction stops all of a sudden, then that is proof of the guilt and the power, the witchcraft power of the accused. Right, that's cl- except it was the accused whose hands was put were put on the accuser. 
Okay. And uh, and if the acu- and if the accuser's fit stopped, yes, that was proof of the power of the witch. And so all and so all the suspects there, a number was a the number appears to have been seventeen, were all arrested and taken to Salem, that, the Salem jail that day. These afflicted had such power. These girls. That's very true. Then did they become afflicted because they got became the center of attention and had so much power? Uh that could be part of it. But I, you know, I think they wouldn't you? Also, wouldn't, wouldn't you? Well, that's true, but I think that 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 I'm sure that was part of it. They because girls really were largely ignored, and suddenly they became the center of attention. But I also believe that to a large degree, they genuinely believed that this was happening to them. Uh, the whole area, this is all going on in a situation like that. People are going to have some very intense nightmares. And I have no doubt that pe- that in certain situations, people accused someone that they had a nightmare about. And, you know, if it was someone that their parents or some other adult they respected that had a conflict in the past with in the past, they would be thinking, okay, who could be doing this to our daughter? Okay, well, I got in a quarrel with uh, this particular neighbor not too long ago. Well, for example, if, I'm, if I had a daughter who was having a, fl- a fit you and I were neighbors, and um, I we had just had some argument, and I, I might be thinking, all right, who could be doing this to my daughter? And to borrow the uh, terminology of the time, I might think, okay, Bradley Ray, and so I would ask my daughter, okay, is it Goodman Ray, to use the terminology of the time, who's attacking you? And if I put that idea in her head, then she might think, okay, this is this is who it is. Okay, interesting wrinkle. We in our shows, Cotton Mather and Increase Mather pop up a lot because we do lots of New England history. Increase was Cotton's father, right? That's correct. Okay, and Increase gone to Harvard. Very smart person. They, That's I guess correct. Cotton and Increase did sort of a town father, clergy, wise man, very, 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 very powerful. That's very true. Now, at the time, it was thought that, but not by the Mathers, but by people in general that. The devil could control a person's body, but only with the person's permission. That's right. And that's what, because of that permission, that's that's where the guilt is, because you gave the devil permission to come in. But Increase Mather, who who was very powerful at the time, did not believe, could not prove that you had to have given your permission for the devil to inhabit your body. So he didn't want to charge people based on that permission. That's correct. He, for again, if I, if, you know, if someone accused me and claimed my specter was attacking them, by Increase Mather's interpretation, that did not prove any guilt on my part because it's possible the devil could have just chosen me and uh, decided to use a specter that appeared to be me to attack someone, and I might not have anything to do with it. So you wouldn't be on the hook for guilt. Exactly. I mean, Increase Mather did believe that such spectral attacks did really happen, but he did not believe that that was any evidence for the guilt of 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 a suspect. You're such a smart, learned person. I wonder if I spoke to him if he would actually convince me that spectral attacks were possible. Sorry about the cough. <coughs> Excuse me. Why don't you talk for a while about how the witch craze went away? What caused it to just dissipate? 
Well, certainly increased Mather was a factor. He had he wrote in a, in, in a book that he titled Cases of Conscience Retur- Concerning Evil Spirits Impersonating Men and shared it with us other ministers in the colony and also Governor Phipps. Uh, but and there was a merchant in Boston, a very powerful merchant named Thomas Brattle, who also wrote a lengthy letter criticizing the trials. But I have to give credit where credit is due because in Andover, there were many people who were becoming disgruntled by all this. For one thing, more and more powerful people in Andover were beginning to be accused. Barry Osgood, whose husband was the wealthiest man in town, had been arrested. And so people in Andover were starting to suspect. Now, this is this is really starting to get unbel- hard to believe. So petitions were circulated in Andover. There were four altogether over a period of... Uh, a couple of mu- about three months, signed by a total of 72 people in town, many of whom were quite prominent, that were brought to the judges, you know, stating, you know, de- questioning the guilt of the suspects. And there was a letter written by Francis Dane, who was one of the two ministers in town, um, questioning the, you know, who also questioned the guilt, even though he didn't totally dismiss the possibility that Martha Carrier may have been guilty. But he also spoke of a rumor in Andover that, that uh, people had come to believe that if they confessed, they would be exonerated, which was never the intention of the court of Oyer and Terminer. They were only keeping the confessors alive to provide evidence of, uh, against other suspects. But Right, and thank you very much. Folks, the book, great detail. There's dialogue in it from the record. In the Shadow of Salem, the Andover Witch Hunt of 1692. Thanks to our guest, Richard Height, for coming into the studio in person. It really makes a big difference. Thank you, sir. Thank you very much for inviting me. Absolutely. With Lucky Landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.